Welcome to the Triple Top Line podcast. This is the first podcast where you can learn how your business can create a positive impact on people, the planet, and profit. Here we bring the most brilliant minds from the startup and sustainability worlds to share their opinions and ideas around the topic. I'm Alex, co-founder at Catalyst Adventures, and I'll be here as the host on the show. So a very warm welcome to this episode of the Triple Top Line podcast. And I'm really excited to be joined uh, in the studio today with Yeva Vaitkevichute from Mindletic. And I'm going to ask her to, uh, to say a few words about her uh, about herself in a, in a moment. But first of all, just as a, as a quick uh, teaser, I would say that if you've been to the gym this morning and you feel like your, your muscles have had a really good workout, then here we go with Yeva to hear a little bit about, more about our minds and how we need to have a mental workout. So Yeva, please, uh, well, well, very warm welcome, first of all, and please tell us, you know, who are you and who is Mindletic? Yeah, hey, really nice being here. Thank you so much for such a good intro with the reference to a gym. Yes, I am Yeva. I'm a founder and currently CEO of Mindletic, which is a mental gym. We call it mental gym with a vision that lies behind its name where we connect mind and athletic. So that the same way how people are no longer asking why are you going to a gym if you look good, we believe that uh, nobody should be asking why are you training your emotional muscles. If you are subjectively happy, resilient, strong, we can always be stronger and go into conflicts and decision making stronger, right? So this is what I do. I run a startup uh, that is currently working with uh, 50 plus uh, mindful organizations uh, whose employees are training their minds. Fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to hearing, you know, about your journey as a, a startup entrepreneur, uh, but also to, to understand and dig a little bit deeper into, into mental health and why it's important for companies and what's in it for, you know, me as an individual, uh, our organizations and, and so on. But before we before we go into that, um, I, I first came across you uh, during the, the Hack the Crisis event. It was actually probably two years ago now, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to hear, I mean, you, you, you've been on the, on the global stage. Well, how has life changed for you in the last two years? Most people have been, you know, really uprooted and had their lives changed by the pandemic, but you're someone who's really come and, and grabbed the, the bull by the horns and, and actually done something with it. So how's your life changed? Yeah, those two years uh, seem like a decade already, uh, having in mind how many things happened. But the pandemic became a good kickoff uh, for this mental health. I've been in, uh, in the field for quite some time. I have a background in psychology and have been working in HR tech and as an HR, as a training facilitator before. So this is the topic that I'm passionate about. And technology is... Uh, Technologies really help us to do things faster or more efficient and connect uh, on a different level. And we are constantly in contact with others uh, via technology. So this is where I just uh, moved my passion to online and created this uh, mental gym concept, which at the beginning uh, or during the hackathon was supposed to be a weekend activity where we uh, connected and partnered up with Psychology Association, a few volunteers, uh, psychologists, and created a space where people could book an online session with a, a professional mental health person, a psychologist with at least master's degree in clinical psychology, and have a consultation, no matter how mentally fit they currently were or how disbalanced they felt. Uh, and of course, due to pandemic, uh, we had more disbalance uh, and, and it became uh, more okay to really work on this topic. 
And since then, we entered uh, another uh, global hack that connected more than 15,000 participants. And after winning the second place there, it became a kickoff. This is where I created a, an entity, a social business. After a few months, uh, my first partner in crime joined full time. And in two other um, two months later, uh, we had first partners, not, not clients, but really partners with whom we co-created this mental gym further. Mm, starting with uh, Svetbank, Simplica, then Vinted joined. Uh, we had some uh, public uh, government bodies that joined us. And a month later, we reached uh, this investment round um, and collaborated with amazing angels uh, and also a few funds. Congratulations on that journey. Sounds like a, an absolute whirlwind uh, to, to go through uh, to go through those phases. You, you, you mentioned that you started a social business. So for, for the listeners uh, of the podcast, can you just, just explain, please, what does it mean a social business and, and what's what's that about? So it's still a business aiming to grow, right, and, and self-sustain and, 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 and grow from A to B. The difference is that we are aiming for social impact as well. So instead of having KPIs that would be uh, mainly focused on revenue growth, that is a regular business, uh, we have uh, one of the main metrics that we are uh, trying to grow and follow is the impact that we are doing to emotional balance. This is what we are tracking all the time, not only how satisfied the users are with our services, but also how much we contribute to their emotional balance. This is the question that, that we are uh, constantly asking. Um, and also recently started uh, measuring how, much, uh, how many hours uh, people spend with us tackling emotional disbalance having this hypothesis that this is where we contribute uh, to their balance, or this is how we uh, contribute to also managers and HRs uh, by minimizing the emotional tension that they have. This is what we are also tackling as a social business. Uh, and in the long, long run, we aim to uh, decrease the turnover or sick leave on the organizational uh, level, which is closely connected to uh, burnout and other uh, emotional disbalance. So it sounds, if if I've understood correctly, you you've, you you're taking financial sustainability as an important uh, kind of objective for the for the organization, but the social impact is actually even more important, and and those two things go together to make it a business that that can survive, that can grow, that can thrive, uh, and really have a positive social benefit at the same time. Yes, this is the goal. <laughs> And and super and and then as an entrepreneur, it, you know, as we know, it's it's really important to be sort of solving a pain, solving a pain that people have. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about the pains that you saw in organisations at the start of the pandemic, when when people were mm -hmm. feeling sort of lost and confused and uh, and bewildered. Mm -hmm. So when pandemic uh, started, more and more um, more. Uh, and more organizations started moving to remote work, even if they didn't have it or they had partly remote work. And this is that uh, this is the thing that uh, created uh, uh, created the distance. And this is where it became harder for organizations and leaders to get the feeling of how my employees are um, uh, are living. At the same time, they noticed some uh, patterns in decreased productivity. This is something that I'm already sharing insights from. Uh, company leaders with whom we are collaborating, um, and also we saw some uh, some 
uh, data from their own engagement so surveys or our Mindletic tool that is also tracking um, moods on a daily basis. Uh, we saw some loneliness as being one of the trending emotion there, uh, which is co co connected to uh, to this uh, moving remote, but not only. Um, and this is this is the pain that we started uh, uh, started uh, tackling uh, together with some companies were actually uh, already re reporting numbers of uh, employees openly talking about burnout due to this change and past change and and the pandemic itself. Uh, health, uh, 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 health situation around them, but also work-wise, uh, with changed processes, with increased uh, increased uh, remote workers. Um, also, we saw some numbers or the pain where organizations started hiring remotely, which increased the turnover of newcomers. So those that were hired uh, during uh, uh, with this remote setting. Uh, tend to have less connection uh, during the onboarding time. So this uh, decreased the engagement and then increased the turnover of course, of course costs uh, to organizations uh, money-wise as well, not only as a feeling or productivity-wise. That's it's really nice to hear how how then the organizations were feeling at the at that time and 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 how that has has changed over time. Uh, you know, me personally, I remember feeling confused, afraid. You know, this was this sort of huge uncertainty around what's mm. going to happen. How will this affect me? Uh, you know, what's going to happen to my work, my relationships, my colleagues, you know, everything. I mean, it was uh, it was a pretty, pretty frightening time. But, but you seem to be someone who's, you know, not just, uh, you know, a, I don't know how you've dealt with those emotions or what emotions you were feeling there but then you've actually converted that into action and creating solutions. So could you talk us a little bit through that process, please? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm open about my own uh, experiences. Uh, even with a background in psychology, I had panic attacks uh, a few times per, per my life, especially when I have a major life decision to make or, or, or there is a really high stakes uh, of, of my decisions there, right? And uh, during the pandemic, um, uh, my father is a surgeon and he was in the front line of um, medical staff uh, to deal with the first cases of pandemic. So I was, of course, extra charged with this uh, insecurity of my family's safety. Uh, he was not able to, um, to isolate. Uh, and then all of us, we, we didn't know how, how we will be, uh, how we will handle the situation. And then Venus Municipality asked me to to. to uh, manage um, data analytics team to try to prognose how many resources we will we will need uh, from non-existing historical data. Prognose how how much cases we will have, and uh, I had this uh, huge panic week. I would even say it wasn't uh, an episode. I was the whole like the whole week. I was barely sleeping and barely eating. It was uh, it was a huge anxiety there. And by turning this into action, what can I do with at least a small small step? This is what actually helped me to come out uh, of this uh, feeling as well, of this in insecurity. And this is why I invite others as well to uh, take the action when you are disbalanced. Uh, not necessarily when you have panic attack or, or you are already like uh, injuring yourself, but uh, whenever you are disbalanced, which for some might be this amount of stress for, uh, for an another person, it could be a bigger amount of stress um, it's it's up to you to 
define what's your balance zone. And this is what we are preaching and uh, supporting with Mindletic, where we we are, we are not offering you to be happy and energized all the time. It's impossible, but rather um, analyze what's your balance zone. And once you are close to limits or really outside the limits, um, we aim to help you come back to your balance zone and expand it um, con um, in a, a consistent way rather than extremes. And and then how does how does that look? So you're you're in your disbalance zone uh, during the mm -hmm. during the start of the pandemic, and it, you you then you know actually go through that journey of you know testing testing a product, creating a product, testing it on the audience. What what did those steps look like for the the, the entrepreneurs who are listening and, and or thinking about starting their own business? Mm -hmm. So. As simple as connecting with people who are interested in the same pain you are solving. So in this case, the pain was disbalance uh, on a personal level first, and then on a on an organizational level with whom we are in daily contact and and we are really affected by people around us. So it's sometimes and more often than not harder to make a change alone than with a group. So connecting with those who uh, who are interested in the same pain or they are already working in the field. In my case, it was a partnership with Psychology Association, Youth Line, Human Rights Institute. These are the first uh, leaders that I connected together asking the question, so what are we going to do about it? What are we going to, how about we have these resources, we have connections here, there and there, how can we combine them? And in my case, I, I brought uh, uh, connections from uh, tech world, some uh, designers, then mental health organizations or leaders of those organizations uh, brought uh, professionals working in the field, but not that techie. And then how can we, uh, by collaborating, uh, make a solution there? And then already offer this solution to the outside world uh, without very clear structure, uh, no pricing at the beginning. It was just whether this actually, is this pain really there? We, we saw it very clearly. And then whether our solution helps you solve this pain and from which angle and how can it help you even more? And this is already an iteration from the first step. So I think the same like with the jumping of your bed, sometimes it's hard, but once you, once you are you know, putting your leg uh, out of it, then everything else falls after. So I think if if we are coming to the point of offering, uh, how to say, a tip, it would be don't think too uh, too far away, just uh, one step at a time. And sometimes it could seem so heavy or so big, and this pile of unwashed dishes is is getting bigger and bigger. But once I start by cleaning only plates or only cups, and look. We already are tackling this mountain mountain of dishes or this like huge idea of building a startup one step at a time. Uh, that's, I mean, it sounds really, really impressive and, and uh, you know, remarkable as a, as a, as a, as a tip. Um, and also this uh, it seems like you've been extremely effective at, at building sort of coalitions, gathering people, moving together as a bigger, bigger force, bigger momentum to actually get this, uh, this moving. And then, you know, as a startup, you've also got to a point where, uh, as you said, you know, actually going towards profit or growth is important. So you've had to fundraise on top of all of this as well. Mm -hmm. So how, how has the fundraising journey gone so far and, and where have you got to with that? Mm -hmm. So 
I really wanted to make this sustainable instead of one time or one weekend activity or like my previous experience was related to time-wise restricted uh, projects where we have this like, yeah, project with specific goals uh, that has an end date and that's it. So thinking about sustainable way of doing it, I had to think about this revenue streams, right? And not necessarily right away of investment that I will come up with some revenue streams in the, in the future. That was the very beginning where I started. And actually fundraising came into place after we already got the, um, some financial boost from first clients partners. Again, I cannot call them clients because they, they, they were and they still are co-creating with us. Uh, we started by having this negotiation that, hey guys, how about you cover uh, consultations uh, to the amount that uh, is a minimum of, um, of the professionals with whom we work with, the psychologists, I mean, uh, and then you are contributing to, to this project with something you have, not necessarily the money. And they were contributing with their design team help, for example, where we designed something uh, together with them. And then on top of that, they were like, okay, now we see a value in this and that. How about uh, uh, how about you help us out a bit more? And this is where I'm again offering or testing uh, um, some, um, I don't know, pay payment for the value they we, we create. And this is where based on negotiation, we actually find the common ground. And then with another partners, uh, we find another ground. And then look, we already have something that is unifying. And after first uh, contract that were already co-creation, but already there was some money exchanged. This is where uh, I started talking with the investors who got interested, especially impact-driven investors to really go further towards this investment round and, and, and analyzing the numbers or potential, potential what we could reach if we would have extra, uh, extra funding. And also it's very important to mention that one of the main investors who was a mentor at the very first uh, Hack the Crisis, Vladis Lashes, was uh, firstly investing with his time and knowledge and support uh, throughout the journey from the very beginning. It wasn't even about like a huge funding round to which we grew after uh, a few months of working with already paying partners. This sounds like really good advice, you know, for anyone thinking about how to price their products, how to actually start to test, is there a market there? Yeah, it, it can that be validated the way you've gone through that process. I think this is really, really useful advice as well. And, and then talking about the, the social impact investors, you know, honestly, are they really interested in the impact or are they interested in the money and the impact? Or is it more the money? Where, where does that balance lie? Uh, Impact-driven investors are definitely interested in other metrics than money only. Um, and also, they most of the time with those that I've connected so far, they already have interest in specific impact, uh, maybe specific topic that they are focused on, be it the mental health or being in the environment. Um, and um, this is... Uh, this is so much better than um, connecting with uh, investors focusing on the revenue only because it's also more sustainable for the uh, for the startup. If we connect with those who are interested in the topic and not only funding by money, they are actually working together with you towards it. They already have connections that they can support you with. They already have learnings from other uh, projects within your field. Um, and they're also challenging you uh, in the ways that you wouldn't lose your focus. 
you know, that you wouldn't go after some random ideas that would uh, even shift you sometimes or, or, or um, yeah, uh, shift you from, from the main goal that you want to work with. Uh, so they are great partners, not only investors during the investment round, but partners while building this together with you. And, and, and this is this is really great to hear. I think one of the things that we've seen on our journey with Catalyst Ventures is the sense of, you know, there's a lot of talk about impact investing, but, you know, there's still probably too much focus on the on the financial side. And for us, it's really been a, a long sort of internal dialogue about you know, A, we can't continue business as usual and, and forget about the environment or the social impact of what these, what the, what startups are doing. And, 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 and also this sense of, you know, it's it, just, just making money off another startup is, you know, loses its interest. It's, it's actually this, this sense of purpose, this sense of, you know, satisfaction of, of getting there. So what, what for you is the, you know, the, the when, when, when did those moments of satisfaction or real, kind of milestones that you've reached along the way because yeah, it, it's it, it must have been an incredible uh, yeah experience yeah so there are ups and downs as a roller coaster as like uh, in other startups uh, but working in a topic that you're really passionate about or a problem that you're really interested in pays off with soft things uh, like when you see somebody in uh, LinkedIn, the recent activity, posts a personal reflection of uh, the changes within their inner world uh, and tags Mindletic that it contributed to it. This is something that the whole team is like boosted a lot more than just growing one number there. Uh, or if you see anonymous feedback uh, after experiences with Mindletic, be it individual consultations with uh, psychologists or uh, self-care exercises or theme group uh, activities there and you see people really uh, thanking you anonymously so it's we can trust the feedback even more they see risks there they see improvements there's always uh, plenty uh, space to to improve but you also see how you contribute to um, not only to the ind in individual experience but how it changed uh, in their work environment with the groups because even with the I don't know, uh, reaching X uh, amount of uh, people, we are actually affecting so many around them uh, that are in connection with them. So th this is something that is really, really motivating, especially at times when you have uh, heavier, uh, heavier times there. Mm, so this is a huge, huge motivation. And that, that uh, question of how much we contribute to your emotional balance journey, uh, when you see that People are also measuring uh, that you do contribute, not 100%, maybe some percent, but you do contribute there. So this is something that is motivating a lot. And, and you know, people really want to see this, this, this measurement and this, and this change. So can you tell us a little bit about how you actually measure? I mean, you, you just mentioned there this sort of secondary effect or the knock-on effect of not just people directly, but then, you know, people that they're engaged with or, or, or you know, part of their communities. So... How, how do you measure the, the impact of what you do? So the daily measurement or what we, uh, what we provide also to organizations is that we provide real-time data of dominating uh, emotions and categories of emotions and how uh, energetic people feel uh, throughout the month, 
what's the emotional balance zone or distribution of different uh, emotions in your company and how it's changing throughout the time. So this is, uh, this is a real-time data that we show without very concrete goal because each organization could have a different goal. If they had a, uh, a month of uh, really high focus, we saw that the focus uh, was the one of the nominating emotions. Maybe the next month they have a different goal there to really um, increase the energy level because it was dropped. Um, so these are different goals that companies have. Um, what we are measuring, um, what we are measuring as a as an impact or change in these soft things is, is so heavy. It's not the it, it's it's not as easy as uh, I don't know counting amount of uh, pencils that we created. But uh, we are measuring how uh, how much we contributed to emotional balance. Uh, also, how many consultations uh, people had with the professionals. Um, how they were rating the experience there. Uh, and currently we have NPS Net Promoter Score where we ask how likely are you to recommend, especially after consultations, we have about 90, which is usually NPS varies from minus 100 to 100. So we believe we are doing a match there pretty good. Um, scale, fantastic. Yeah, um, and, and we see a growing numbers of consultations, but also increasing self-care exercises there and uh, we see increased uh, retention after four weeks each month that is growing with self-care exercises where we invite people to firstly be self-sustaining and work uh, on yourself by reflecting so these are the the numbers or impact how we are um how how are we measuring the impact and the numbers of hours that people are tackling this balance this is where we uh, believe that uh, we take the burden of uh, surroundings uh, of uh, from your managers, HRs, or your um, teammates, or your family members. We reduce the emotional tension there by providing a safe space for it. So that's a really nice explanation then of the the knock-on effects there as well. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking. I, I think it was Bhutan who, that has the the gross national happiness. They're, they're measuring happiness, not GDP. Uh, mm -hmm. as an indicator. So I imagine that you're already growing to a size where if you aggregate how people are feeling and uh, you're, you're measuring uh, the amount of hours uh, spent in disbalance. And uh, I, I'm just, I guess the question's coming to mind, how long before then you actually aggregate that and you're starting to sell to government and, and you're saying, look, we're actually getting a, a really good mm -hmm. grip on the happiness of the population or the disbalance of the population and, and, and what that yeah. can cause. Uh, this is one of the important messages that we want to uh, share is that happiness cannot be a goal uh, because we cannot we have so many emotions and and uh, and there is value behind them um, and we have different energy levels and this is where where our uh, journaling uh, divides hundred emotions based on two stimulus energy and pleasantness level we base that on Barrett study. Um, what we uh, where we invite uh, people is to track their emotional balance and seek for balance instead of huge disbalance. So we are already working with not only organizations but government bodies. One of the ministries joined us uh, also uh, to train their emotional muscles and seek for balance. Uh, and uh, starting uh, another project where we aim to predict and prevent costly disbalance because disbalance costs to individual society uh, 
uh, organizational level and even the climate change. I have uh, I have arguments there uh, I can share later on. But um, so to prevent, predict and prevent emotional disbalance, this is where we are focusing and already uh, dedicating our data scientists time to track the um, signs uh, that we have inside uh, Mindletic uh, prior to high peaks of uh, sick leave turnover or burnout cases in your organization. So this is the next time we see similar tendencies there, uh, we can already alert you upfront so that you would make a change and have less costs on the organization level, but also individual level, because of course you are affecting individual level through your organization. And then, you know, if we uh, uh, reverse that or invert that, and we're actually measuring time where people are slightly disbalanced uh, in a in a in a zone of creativity. You know, can we imagine a, a situation in the future where you know future unicorns are, are actually made uh, and created, or new startups are created from those moments of slight disbalance when when people mm -hmm. are are there? Is that is that a possibility for the future? Is that something on your on your radar? Yeah, some disbalance is of course useful. The same like uh, small stress, right? And we, it's, a, it's a impossible not to have stress. It's a question of how much stress do I have? What, what type of disbalance really expands my possibilities or uh, creates a space for uh, non-traditional uh, solutions there? Um, so when talking about the goal to be balanced, we are not talking about reducing the amount of uh, some uh stronger emotions here or there some huge excitement that is uh, also does it might not seem really balanced or or really sustainable but we have this peak of high energy and and, and super huge excitement that moves us forward and makes us make uh strange decisions there that might result in something amazing and and as a triple top line podcast where we focus on the social impact, the uh, financial impact, and also the environmental impact, what then is the the link between emotional balance, disbalance, and climate change? Mm -hmm. So I I really believe that uh, uh, if we are more balanced within our zone, how much uh, stress, tension, or, or hyper energy we can uh, maintain, then we are using um, services and buying things more mindfully. Uh, we are more self-aware whether we really need this or that, or is, is this a, a short-term happiness I'm trying to buy here? As an example, if I am, uh, if I am generally um, not satisfied with my emotional state, um, this is where I might try to buy happiness in things. Um, that that make me feel um, subjectively happy for a short term, right? Or eat something that uh, provides me this uh, stimulation with uh, with a taste and very fast. Uh, or start even non-suicidal self-injury, uh, as simple as uh, substance abuse, or going as uh, as uh, heavy as. Uh, um, self-harm, physical self-harm. One of the interesting ones that I remember from my uh, studies is that people, uh, when they are actually emotionally um, triggered and not, uh, not balanced, again, the balance uh, um, word is uh, used a lot in this field, 
they tend to uh, localize uh, this disbalance somewhere in my body. So uh, maybe self-harm that is visible is already known, but one, one of the interesting ones that is uh, hard to notice how people are um, trying to locate this disbalance inside their bodies, for example, eating one's hair. This is a way of uh, creating uh, pain inside my digestion system uh, without nobody noticing that I am actually suffering. And this is my way of like making the suffer clearly felt inside my body so that it's easier to manage this stress and, and uh, emotional disbalance there. Um, so yeah, um, again, getting back to how it's related to, uh, to um, environment is that when I am balanced or, or only slightly disbalanced in a way that I can still manage, this is uh, where I believe we would make more mindful decisions how we use services and products um, for self um, for self care. Uh, sounds like a really uh, really logical and, and and clear link on on that on that side. So so thank you for 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 sharing that. And then if we if we move sort of to the final section and we talk a little bit more about you know mental health and, and employees and um, and and work environments, you've already talked about the emotions that people were feeling at the start of the pandemic. You were talking about aggregating that at an organizational level. You've been talking about that at even at a, a national level or an inter international level across company offices. How, just how much? Oh, what's the change that you've seen in the awareness around the importance of mental health since the start of the pandemic to, to now? Ooh, it's a heavy topic. Okay, it's been almost two years. Yeah, if we, if we think about where we started, uh, it was a global hack where we connected people from around the world. Then we uh, focused more on uh, Baltic states. So in in Baltic states, we uh, we used to have a lot bigger stigma when it comes to mental health, um, and when we started uh, preaching this idea of uh, sustainable living by having more emotional balance, uh, we used to have a lot more resistance than we currently have, especially anonymously. Mm, when we used to make uh, opening events for organizations, we used to have this uh, resistance and. Uh, some stigmatized uh, reactions to anything re related to uh, word uh, psycho. Uh, and now we no longer have this. This is a huge change that I recently uh, acknowledged um, how uh, even, even the um, sectors that you wouldn't believe uh, that are not related to uh, social scientists, uh, science uh, would react. So this is this is a big uh, change that we noticed, especially in uh, having in mind the cultural background there, uh, where everything related to psychological health was was uh, uh, connected to being uh, excommunicated from the society. So this is a huge change. I I, I mean, as a as a non-specialist, that's that's definitely what uh, what what I've experienced. I think in the in the in the last two years that you know people are much more open to talking about their feelings, their emotions, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the struggles, not, not just the, the, the happiness, the excitement moments, the, those, mm -hmm. those uh, yeah, moments of, of real, real joy. So um, you, you, also, you also talked about um, 
important first steps of making a change. So that's sort of getting the foot out of the bed. And mm -hmm. so then the, the obvious question would be, um, that sounds like great advice. And um, um, So tell us what are the main mistakes that people make uh, or tend to make when they, they, they start their, their journeys of managing their emotional balance? One of the big mistakes that we are uh, constantly um, talking about is the, the hope that I will be happy all the time or the, this wish to have only one emotion when we have at least hundreds, those that we have uh, inside our uh, mood journal um, that we based on our study. But um, it's impossible to be always happy or always energized. We have uh, 50 shades of so many uh, emotions there. And um, this is a huge mistake that leads uh, people to disappointment. Another is that uh, we expect this journey to be my own because emotions are inside me and I am the one that is feeling them. Yes, those emotions are related to your past experiences, um, your current situation. It's about you, but it's really uh, affected by how we communicate with others. And this journey shouldn't be, uh, uh, you shouldn't be alone in it. I'm not saying that others are responsible for your emotions. That's also not true, but, um, but invite others to really seek for balance together or help me to seek for balance and learning how to communicate about our uh, em emotional needs and emotional uh, balance. This will help me to uh, go through this journey uh, more successfully. So one of the yeah one one of the uh, risks that we see if, uh, leading to a mistake that's a heavy word that's leading to uh, unsuccessful outcome uh, in regards to balances uh, thinking that it's uh, that you are alone in this you are not alone in this everybody has different emotions uh, and sometimes really similar emotions to very different experiences based on their past. Uh, and only together we can really uh, reach the balance um, more successfully without staying inside inside of us and lonely. And Yeva, you, you've talked uh, about the productivity. You, you've talked about some of the um, in, maybe even stat statistics that that companies are working with, the kind of metrics and measurements that they're looking at. Is there anything else to, to share in terms of where progressive companies are, are going, the direction that they're taking? Mm -hmm. So one of the, um, of the publications that I like to cite is from uh, Harvard studies that we, prior to the pandemic, it was 50% uh, uh, of millennials tend to use to leave uh, their projects or jobs uh, due to this balance the most common one is uh, burnout anxiety these are the buzzwords that were used and during the pandemic uh, the same harvard uh, released uh, uh, resources showing that it's already uh, 62 65 percent of millennials uh, really changing i guess it's also re related to this remote work where we have less uh, contact and uh, it's heavier to feel one another there and, and create a relationship uh, then we see huge numbers in lost uh, employees due to productivity and absenteeism or even turnover when we lose, uh, when companies lose um, their employees. Uh, some are counting based on annual salary. Others are also counting headhunting costs separately. Some have 
even burnout uh, budget for it. Uh, so this costs money-wise. Uh, and also we see some payoffs. Um, one of the, of the findings that uh, Deloitte was uh, showing was that the companies investing in mental health tend to have also um, higher ROI or higher uh, productivity that leads to higher ROI. Of course, it's not the causation, it's correlation, but we see a win-win here that investing in mental health pays off not only to individual and society to whom we want to make a change, but also the um, uh, organization for more long-term relationships there. And that's a beautiful way to 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 sort of wrap up and and bring that to a a win-win situation both for the individual and for organizations. I know a lot of organizations are looking for for this sort of positive ROI on on what's happening. Um, I would say I'm I'm I've been really impressed listening to your journey as an entrepreneur, uh, as an entrepreneur during the, the the pandemic, and and then also going someone who's really a specialist in that area as a psychologist, who's able to bring you know really hard science and create a a technology solution which which has actually been able to scale across across many many organizations so uh, you know huge respect and admiration for for that and thank you very much for for sharing your thoughts and uh, and your insights uh, thank you it's it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't happen without a team of uh, specialists uh, knowing their things uh, very very well it's just i'm maybe i'm good at connecting right people for for the common purpose. Superb. And as a final closing remark, uh, we, we sometimes mm -hmm. ask people, you know, is there a is there a book that you would you would recommend people read? Is there something that's really inspired you? What would you like to share? Uh, yeah. So I I am a fan of this nonviolent communication uh, book uh, by Mar Marshall Rosenberg. I've read, listened to it a few times, and every time I still have uh, new things to learn, especially through. Uh, concrete cases, uh, how can we communicate, especially about difficult uh, topics and emotions is something that is really sensitive. So the way how to how to communicate about it, um, I strongly suggest this one. Super, what a lovely, uh, lovely parting gift for the audience as well. Once again, Yeva, we wish you all the best on your, uh, in your, on your journey to, to have a tremendously positive social impact, as well as uh, a financial and environmental social impact. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much and have a great day. The future is triple top line.